I'd invite you this morning to turn in your copy of God's Word to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, as we will consider verses 1 through 20 and the sending out of the 72. That's Luke, chapter 10, verses 1 to 20. I'll remind you that the Bible is the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God and our only rule for faith and practice. Um, just a few remarks at the uh, beginning. Um, I would like to change the outline just a little bit, just a few of the points. Um, I would like to change uh, the first one. Instead of the nature of the mission, let's put the messengers, the messengers of the mission, or just the messengers. The second point is still the same, the instructions for the mission. And then the third point, I would just like to do the recap of the mission, the recap of the mission rather than the reason to rejoice. Um, But with that in mind, let us pray and then we'll read God's word and consider it together. So please bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for the privilege it is to come before your throne room of grace and to consider your word together, to hear you speak. We thank you for the new and living way that has been opened to us through the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ our prophet, priest, and king, who even now intercedes for us at your right hand. We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, and ask that now, as we consider your word, you would bless us with his presence, that you would illuminate our minds to understand the things of your word, that you would inflame our hearts to love you and to love our neighbors more. Father, give us a greater knowledge and understanding of your word and indeed of your Son. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if mighty works were done in you... And done entire inside, and they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And for you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The seventy-two returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. 
Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. As far as the reading of God's word, well, Luke, as the author of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, is very interested in the mission of the church, in sending out apostles to expand the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. And we see that particularly here in Luke 10, in the sending out of the 72. Luke is the only gospel writer to record this event in, in Jesus' ministry. Mark does not record sending out 72 followers. Matthew does not record sending out to 72 followers. John does not record sending out 72 followers. Only Luke. Luke is very interested in this idea of mission. Mission to the ends of the earth. We specifically see that in the book of Acts. But we also see an interest there in the gospel of Luke as well. So very simply, what is the point of this mission, the sending out of the 72? What's the main point or main thesis of this commission? Jesus sends out 72 messengers to expand the kingdom of God, which results in the downfall or demise of the kingdom of darkness. And I believe that is one of the main points of this passage. Is this passage. Jesus sends out 72 messengers to expand the kingdom of Christ, which results in the downfall or the demise of the kingdom of darkness. And in order to see this in this text, we will look at three things that I mentioned earlier. The messengers of the mission, the instructions of the mission, and the recap of the mission. So those three points, the messengers, the instructions, and the recap. Firstly, the messengers. Jesus will expand his kingdom through the mission and labor of 72 followers. But who are these 72? What can we say about them from the text that is in front of us? Firstly, the 72 are forerunners. 72 are forerunners. Look at, at verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him. Ahead of him, before him. Again, chapter 9, verse 52. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans. Jesus is sending messengers ahead of him. These 72 are forerunners, and they even prefigure or foreshadow or fulfill the ministry of John the Baptist, who also went ahead of Jesus. He was a forerunner of Jesus. And these 72 are commissioned to go before Jesus and prepare the people for Jesus. So they are forerunners, but not only forerunners, Primarily, they are ambassadors. They are ambassadors. Now, ambassador isn't explicitly in this text, but we can see it throughout the whole context. An ambassador is someone who is commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ and has all authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. An ambassador is one who comes in the name and authority of Jesus Christ. He doesn't come in his own name. He comes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Herman Ritterboss put it this way, ambassadors are those who have a special mission, who act on behalf of a person, represent him, and have been given full power and authority for this purpose. So much so that when these 72 speak, it's as though Jesus himself is speaking. And to receive the 72 means that you receive Jesus Christ. Or to reject the 72, as verse 16 tells us, 
means to reject Jesus Christ, and not just Jesus Christ, but to reject God. So these 72 are ambassadors. Not only are they forerunners and ambassadors, but these 72 are bold and courageous followers of Jesus. Bold and courageous followers of Jesus. Verse 3 of chapter 10, Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Imagine that for a send-off of a mission team. I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. This is a dangerous mission. This is a hostile mission. It could result in rejection. It could result in hostility and animosity. That, that very well could be the result of this mission. But these 72 followers of Jesus are committed. So not only are they bold, but they're committed and resolute to go out in the commission of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that specifically in the, the preceding verses of chapter 10. Read with me in 57. And as they were going on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. These 72 followers are resolute followers of Jesus Christ. They are committed. They have put their hand to the plow, and they are not looking back. They are commissioned out as lambs in the midst of wolves. They are resolute, determined, committed followers. So those are the messengers. But how will Jesus prepare these messengers for this mission? What are the instructions that he gives them? And, and maybe you've noticed by now, but these, these, this is the bulk of this passage. Jesus actually spends about the first 16 verses instructing his disciples on this is what you need to do. This is how you need to prepare for this mission. These are the instructions that I give you. And we can get lost in the details. There, there's a lot of peculiarities about these first 16 verses. Go into a house, go into a town, don't go from house to house, say this, don't say this. If they reject you, do this. If they don't reject you, do this. We can get kind of lost in all the details. There's, there's a lot here. But I, I want to summarize all of these instructions kind of into one main point. And I, I believe that the main point of these instructions is that Jesus is telling them, expand the kingdom in the same way that I've been expanding the kingdom. You are my followers, therefore do the very things I've been doing. Emulate me. You are my disciples. Luke 6, 14, I believe, says that every man fully trained will be like his teacher. These 72 followers are to mimic and emulate the Lord Jesus Christ in the way that he did ministry. And I hope we can see that in the number of these instructions here. So firstly, the first instruction Jesus gives, rightly, is to pray, to pray. Verse 2, and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray. Jesus is sending them out as laborers into the harvest to gather people into the kingdom of God, and he's telling them, 
pray for more laborers. You are laborers, pray that you would be accompanied and have more to go out with you. And that really points us to the Lord Jesus Christ, the true laborer of the harvest. He is the one who has gone into the harvest to gather a people for himself, and he has prayed and received disciples to himself and sent them out. And so the the 72 here are mimicking their Savior, Jesus Christ, in praying for more laborers and going out into the harvest just like the Lord Jesus Christ did. So they are to pray for help, pray for more people. There is a disproportionate balance between the harvest and the workers, and we need more laborers to expand the kingdom and to gather people into the kingdom. So pray for help. Pray for fellow laborers. But furthermore, Jesus tells them what to bring, or actually what not to bring. Verse 3, go your way. Uh, or verse 4, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. This is very peculiar. These are absolutely essential things for a traveler. A traveler needs a money bag. A traveler needs sandals. A traveler needs a knapsack. A knapsack is a a, a beggar's bag, basically. It's what you would store leftover food or money in as you were going on your way. And so Jesus says, don't carry these things. That's, That's very bizarre. Why would Jesus tell them not to do this? Well, he's telling them to mimic me. Jesus is one who, as we just read in chapter 9, had no place to lay his head. He didn't store up treasures for himself on earth. Just like chapter 12, he will further advise them. Chapter 12, verse 29, And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Jesus was one who did not worry about if he would have enough money, or if he would have food, or if he needed sandals, or whatever it might be. He trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, or he trusted God, his Father, and he went out and proclaimed the kingdom, and God provided for him. So we shouldn't take these verses as anytime we do a missions trip, we shouldn't take sandals or a knapsack or anything like that. Jesus is saying, my messengers need to mimic me so that the message is authenticated. So that the message is authenticated. So that they're not just men that are preaching and proclaiming the kingdom and preaching and proclaiming salvation. They are ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ and the people need to see that and witness that. So this is not an irrational or careless command, but they are to mimic the Lord Jesus Christ. Furthermore, Jesus tells them, eat when you go into a house, when you go into a town, eat and drink what they provide. It's kind of also peculiar too. Of course they need to eat. But I think what he's telling them there is, do what I've been doing. Eat with sinners and tax collectors. Jesus didn't come for the righteous, but he came to call sinners, and he ate and drank and fellowshiped with sinners and tax collectors. So he's saying, do the same kind of ministry that I've been doing, around a table, eating food, drinking drink, and fellowshipping with one another. Do the very things that I've been doing. But also significantly, one of the more significant instructions Jesus gives them is what to say or what to preach what to proclaim. Verse 5, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And verse 9, heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. This is what you are to proclaim. Proclaim peace. Peace be unto this house. This is not a 
um, maybe a southern uh, cultural kind of greeting, an empty formal greeting. Oh, uh, peace be unto you. I hope you have a, a lovely and nice day and hope you're doing well and glad tidings to you. No, they are proclaiming the peace that God has made between Christ and sinners. They are proclaiming salvific peace, not an empty formal glad tidings kind of peace, but there is peace now between God and sinners. Are you interested? Are you interested in the peace that Jesus Christ has come to bring between a holy God and sinful people? That is what they are to proclaim. And not only peace, but the kingdom of God. Proclaim the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of Christ. This would have resonated, it sounds foreign to our ears, to say, oh, the kingdom's here, the kingdom has come. But to the original audience, they would have gone immediately back to the Old Testament and the promises of the Davidic king of David. You mean the, the one that God promised after David's here? Is that what you mean when you say the kingdom has come? That God is fulfilling his promises and he's going to put a king on the throne who will rule and reign forever? Is that what you're talking about? Is that the message? Yes, that is the message. Are you interested in being a part of the kingdom of God? Are you, being a part, are you interested in being a part of the kingdom of God? The king has come. The long-expected David is here, and he has come to inaugurate, establish, and build his kingdom. And his peace will rule and reign over all the earth. And that is exactly what we see in the ministry of Jesus. They're mimicking Jesus here, too. Jesus was one who proclaimed peace. He was one who proclaimed the kingdom. Matthew four seventeen. repent and follow me, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Luke 4, 43, I must go preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for that is why I was sent out. I must go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And Jesus proclaimed peace, peace, the peace of the kingdom, the peace of the reign of Christ. When he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, no one has peace with the Father except through me. So they are proclaiming the very things that, God, that Christ himself proclaimed while he was on earth, the rule and reign of the kingdom, the peace of the kingdom. So that is what they are to say. That is what they are to proclaim when they go from house to house. But what should they do if they're rejected? That's, I think, the bulk of the rest of this passage. Jesus spends a lot of verses on what you should do if people reject you and your message. What should you say? What should you do? Verse 10 of chapter 10, But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Jesus tells them to proclaim judgment. Wiping off the dust of their feet is a symbol of pronouncing judgment on the people that do not receive the message or the messengers. Jesus instructs them to proclaim judgment on those who reject them. This is exactly what Jesus did. That's the, Luke adds that very part in the middle of this section. Verse three, 13, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if mighty works had been done in you, 
had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. And same with Capernaum as well. Jesus said, okay, if you don't want to be a part of the kingdom, if you don't want the salvific peace that comes from God to sinners, then that means that judgment has come upon you. And so we wipe off our feet, the dust of our feet, as a symbol that judgment has come upon you. That to deny and reject the kingdom of God and the peace of Christ doesn't just put you in a neutral state. It's not as though it's like, ah, you know, I'm not interested. I'm fine kind of how I am. I'm just going to go and live, you know, how I want to live. No, Jesus says if you reject me, it's not that you're in a neutral state. Rather, you put yourself in opposition to the kingdom of God. You are opposing the kingdom of God. You are rejecting the kingdom of God. Why, why, Why is this so severe? These are strong, severe woes that Jesus pronounces on these cities and tells his disciples to pronounce on the cities that reject you. Why so severe? Verse 12, I tell you it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. That is a shocking statement. Sodom was notoriously wicked. Sodom was the the city that everybody pointed to and said, don't be like that, that town. Those guys are as bad as it gets. You can't get worse than Sodom. And Jesus is telling his disciples that if you reject the message and the messengers, if you reject the kingdom and the peace that comes with it, your judgment will be worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. That's a big, oh my goodness, who could get a worse judgment than Sodom? So why is this so severe? Why is this judgment so strong? Verse 16. The one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. The one who who rejects me rejects him who sent me. It's not that you're just rejecting a, a kingdom offer. It's not that you're just rejecting an offer of peace. You're rejecting a person. And you're not rejecting the messenger, really. You're rejecting the one who sent the messenger, God himself. And to reject God himself is to put yourself in the kingdom of darkness rather than the kingdom of light because there's no middle ground. There's only two kingdoms to be a part of. The kingdom of Christ that is expanding through the messengers or the kingdom of darkness, which, as I mentioned at the beginning of the lesson, will surely come down and fall and demise. So that is why judgment is so Severe. You are rejecting a message of mercy. You are rejecting the very person who has come to establish and grant peace between a holy God and sinful people. Another peculiarity of this passage is that we don't actually get how the mission trip actually went. We have 16 verses on the instructions, and then 17 to 20, we just get a recap of the mission. We get a debrief of the mission. And so now in our third point, we, we get to see the recap. The 72 come back with joy, verse 17. What will they say? What will, what will they talk about when they debrief their mission? I don't know if you've ever been on a mission trip before, but usually when you go on a mission trip, you debrief what, what took place, what happened, what were the stories, what were the testimonies, what was, what was fascinating and, and thrilling. Did someone come to Christ? Tell me a testimony of someone who came to Christ. Or was it hard? Tell me the difficulties of the mission trip. And so what will these 72 talk about? Will they talk about 
how God provided for them, even though they didn't have a knapsack and a money bag or sandals? Will they talk about people that rejected them? Will they talk about the testimonies of those who received the kingdom? What will these 72 say to Jesus when they come back on their mission? What do they rejoice in? The only thing they can say and rejoice in is the fact that demons are subject to them in Jesus' name. That's the only thing that we have recorded that they say. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And so they, they begin to talk about how, Jesus, your, your kingdom is expanding. It is expanding, and that includes the demise and downfall of the spiritual forces of evil. But I wonder if you've noticed that Jesus actually didn't tell them to go cast out demons. Remember the instructions that we just went over? Jesus didn't say, hey, big instruction, this is the main thing I want you to do. Go and cast out demons. Jesus actually didn't say that in the instructions. Now, how does Jesus respond? When the only thing they can talk about is exorcisms, how does Jesus respond? He says, verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Jesus doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't say like a parent might say, I gave you these instructions, and you didn't do what I told you. Now, therefore, some kind of rebuke. Jesus doesn't rebuke them. He actually, he, he agrees. He says, that's right. I've given you authority to trample over scorpions and every kind of minion and power over the enemy. I've allowed you to do these kinds of things. I've given you power and authority to expand the kingdom, which certainly results in the demise and downfall of Satan and the kingdom of darkness. And that's what, that's what Jesus' interpretation of their mission is. When he says, I saw Satan fall down like lightning, what he's saying is that the kingdom of God is expanding in enemy-occupied territory, and it results in the destruction and demise of the kingdom of darkness. That's what it means to expand the kingdom. It means that souls are being taken out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. Jesus is rescuing people. He's delivering people. As Jesus said in his sermon in Luke chapter 4, I've come to set captives free. Not free from a prison cell, but free from sin and Satan and the bondage of sin and Satan. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, you're right. That's what's happening under the scenes, behind the scenes. That's what's taking place. But he doesn't leave it there. He agrees with them, but he actually corrects them. He agrees with their assessment that the kingdom of God includes the demise and downfall of the kingdom of darkness, but he corrects them for their misplaced joy. Verse 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The 72 came back from the mission and were rejoicing in what they could do with God's name. They were rejoicing in the powers that they were able to exercise throughout their ministry. They rejoiced in what they were able to do through and with Christ's name. But 
the ability to cast out demons, the power to cast out demons, does not guarantee salvation. It does not guarantee salvation. As Jesus said in Matthew 7, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out many demons in your name? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Casting out demons does not guarantee salvation. And so Jesus says, you should not rejoice in that because non-Christians can do these kinds of things. Non-Christians are able to do these kinds of things. It does not guarantee that you are a part of my kingdom. Rather, salvation is guaranteed because your name is written in heaven. Salvation is not guaranteed by what you can do with Jesus' name. Salvation is guaranteed because of what Christ has done with your name. He has written your name in the Lamb's book of life that cannot be erased. Your security as a believer is not bound up in what you can do for God. It is solely bound up in what Christ has done with your name. And that is the reason all believers should rejoice. Our joy should not be bound up in what we can do for Christ, but our joy should be in what Christ has done with our name. So Jesus, in conclusion, has sent out these 72 messengers to be his ambassadors, to represent him on the way, to proclaim the kingdom of God and the peace that is associated with it. And then he corrects them by saying, you should not rejoice in the fact that you can do many mighty miracles in my name, but for the rest of your life, rejoice in this one fact and find your security in this one fact that I have sealed your name in the Lamb's book of life. And that is where salvation is guaranteed, not in what you can do, but in what Christ has done with your name. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you, Almighty Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for you have called us before the foundation of the earth. You have written our names in the Lamb's Book of Life. You have opened our eyes and our ears in time. You have given to us the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. You have taken out our heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh. Father, you have changed us from the inside out, and we praise and rejoice in the ministry and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the true laborer of the vineyard who has gone in the harvest and gathered a people for himself. We praise you, O oh Father, that you have given to us a Savior like the Lord Jesus Christ, our prophet, priest, and king, the Eternal One, who has indeed written our names in the Lamb's Book of Life. O oh, Father, we rejoice in this, and give us the faith and strength to rejoice always in that reality. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.